0: Uh, 1960, my family moved from the United States to South Korea. My dad was an army chaplain, and he got a two-year assignment in Seoul, Korea, and the family got to go with them. It was an adventure to get there, Uh, but while we were in um, South Korea, I was able to join the Boy Scouts, and so um, that summer, I was able to go to the Boy Scout summer camp uh, at Taean-e on the Yellow Sea coast of South Korea and it was exciting. One of the uh, things that they wanted to teach us was uh, to work on a merit badge about tracking, uh, how to track people in the woods, follow a trail, Uh, those kinds of things, and so they had uh, organized a a plan that a a group of us boys would be on the beach with adults, and other people had left a trail, and we were supposed to end up on a bluff overlooking the seacoast and have a bonfire and a cookout and an overnight sleeping experience in the woods, Uh, and that's what that was supposed to be about, and so we got down on the beach, and I could see the trail, it was easily marked in in the sand, and We began to trail. One of the things about me is that um, I sometimes think I know everything and I can be a little bit stubborn. Uh, Tenacious is what I would like to say. Um, But uh, we started to follow the sign and I kept getting a little further ahead of everybody else as we walked to the, the next sign. And I kept getting further ahead, and I was so focused on following the sign that my ears closed down, and I couldn't hear people around me yelling at me to come back, that I was too far ahead. And I just kept following the trail. Well, I got to a place where the trail petered out, and there was no more trail, and I couldn't figure out where it was. And I turned around to look for the rest of the group to see where they were, and they were gone too. And I looked around, and all I could see was South Koreans. I was the only white boy on the beach and it was kind of scary Um, and so I didn't know exactly what to do Um, and so I I tried to backtrack a little bit and see where they might have left the the beach and catch up with them but I couldn't see it. There were too many other footprints in the sand and you know sand doesn't necessarily hold a footprint very well uh, especially if it's warm and dry And, and so I was alone. And I was lost, and I didn't know exactly what to do. Uh, and so I thought about it for a little bit, and I said, well, you know what? I, I think I can find my way back to our main camp, and I did. And so I got to the camp, and I found the tent that I had my stuff in, and I climbed up on my bunk, and it was the middle of the afternoon, and I was kind of hungry and alone, and the tent was hot, and I just kind of sat there waiting because I didn't know what else to do. I knew that this was at least a safe place. And eventually, an adult came and found me and put me in a Jeep, and we drove up to the campground where the other boys were at the fire and sleeping overnight in the cookout. And I got to join them, and the rest of the camp was, was better. That was one of my experiences in, in South Korea as a Boy Scout. Uh, we know that we need to read the Bible. We've been following Jesus for very long. That's something that we pick up right away, that, that we need to read the Bible, that we should read the Bible, that we ought to read the Bible, and, and yet sometimes we have a hard time getting started. We don't know exactly when to read the Bible. What, do we do it in the morning? Do we do it in the evening? Do we do it at lunchtime? When do we read the Bible? Sometimes it's hard to start. And then when we do start, uh, we find it difficult to stay engaged, and pretty soon we're not reading the Bible anymore. Uh, I like the Bible app because it tracks how many times I've read the Scripture, and I can see that number get one number larger every day, and that's, that's exciting. I'm always sad when my large number goes to zero and I have to start over. But that's also the good thing. You can start over. You can start again and, and keep reading uh, in the Bible. I, I got lost on that beach because I was stubborn. I thought I already knew how to track. But the reality was I needed a guide, I needed someone to teach me, and we need someone to guide us in the Bible as well. We need someone to help us uh, get started, to stay motivated, and to gauge uh, with life-affirming truths that are present in God's Word. Our anchor verse for this series has been Deuteronomy 8.3, and uh, there towards the end of it, uh, it says... Um, That man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And so we want to focus on the life-giving Word of God to us. Our series has covered the the fact that the Bible is a firm foundation for our life, that we want that foundation under us to hold us secure, that we can stand firm and grow on that foundation, which is God's Word, which is Jesus Christ. And we've also heard and understand that we need the whole Bible for a whole life that we just can't pick and choose. We need all of it in order to have a whole life, a wholeness of life, and that we need to develop a listening ear so that we can hear clearly from our father when he speaks to us through scripture. If you have your Bible, I would ask that you would get it out and hold it up and let us pray. Loving God, we thank you for your word uh, that gives us life we thank you that it is present and that you are blessing it. We ask that you would give us uh, soft hearts uh, to hear and ears that are attentive to you, uh, that we might hear what you have for us this morning. Bless us and bless each one in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we're going to be in the book of Colossians, but before we get there, we're going to look at some basic uh, truths that are foundational about Scripture. Uh, Colossians tells us that Jesus is our hidden treasure. And so there are some precious treasures that uh, we need to be aware of uh, in the Bible. Some basic truths about Scripture. First of all, uh, as has been said, uh, just repeating and emphasizing, it's God breathes. Second uh, uh, Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Uh, that God is the inspiration of the Word that is written down and that it is useful uh, to us for all kinds of things, Uh, not only for teaching, but it also uh, corrects us. It uh, rebukes us when we uh, need that. And it's for training in righteousness that when we read Scripture, we see all of those things that are present. Sometimes we can read the story of a character in the Old Testament and our conclusion is, well, that's not a good thing to do. I'm not going to do that. Uh, and, and that's helpful for us. And sometimes we see an example that is positive and that we need to imitate that. Uh, but all of Scripture is God-breathed and we need all of it. Secondly, it is living and active. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's living and active. This is not a dead letter uh, written to a people long ago that has no meaning or relevancy for us today. It is living and active, and it will speak to us. Uh, we can count on that. And it is, has the power and the ability to pierce us as it um, causes us to reflect on our life. Many times we will bring our questions to the Bible and look for answers, and that is a good thing. But did you also know that the Bible is asking questions of our life, that it is examining us as well, that as we're reading it, we're reflecting on our life in the light of the truth that is there, and we're seeing things sometimes that aren't so good that God wants to deal with. And so it is living and active, and it is piercing from time to time, and so we need to be aware of that. Also, the Word of God is effective. Uh, the following verse uh, to Second uh, Timothy 3.16, verse 17 says uh, that the purpose of this God-inspired, God-breathed word is that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That the outcome of Scripture is that you and I would be equipped, that we would have the resources, that we'd be supplied with what we need uh, to go into the work that God has prepared for us. Paul in Hebrews writing uh, um, doxology uh, at chapter 13, verses 20 and 21, points out to us that the equipment is to provide everything good for us in Jesus Christ. Paul writes, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom glory be forever and ever. Amen. The Bible indeed can be challenging without a guide. Uh, The Pharisees were very learned in Scripture. Uh, They knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards. uh, and, And they were trained in it. And they were learned. They were experts. And yet, when Jesus appeared on the scene, their training... Their experience, their understanding was of no avail. Uh, Jesus uh, said to them on one occasion, recorded at John 5, verses 39, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. They knew a lot. But even in their knowledge, their eyes were closed and they couldn't see the very presence of the Messiah that they were longing for, looking for, wanting and expecting. And yet when he came, they missed it. The disciples of Jesus, who had chosen to follow Jesus, who had been called by him, who spent time with him, had difficulty understanding as well. Uh, On several occasions, Jesus would point out the reason that he was going to Jerusalem that he would be uh, handed over to the leaders, that he would be abused physically, and that he would be killed, that he would be put in a tomb and die, and that he would ultimately be raised from the dead. And the disciples could not understand that. Mark 9.32 says, but they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. Even when it came to Uh, dramatic teachings like the parables the disciples had difficulty understanding. Um, Mark 4.13 says, And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? And so they had difficulty understanding what Jesus was talking about. I was a preacher's kid, a PK growing up. And I've experienced many different kinds of of churches in various locations and uh, have been uh, one of those people that uh, has been very familiar with church because of that. One of the churches that my dad was a supply preacher at was in Ringgold, Maryland. And uh, that was a a fun church to be a part of. Uh, We got to know people in the community. Uh, Somehow we adopted a farm family, the newcomers, and that became uh, the destination for my older brother and sister uh, to spend the summer on that farm, that dairy farm, uh, working and learning about agriculture. Uh, And I almost got to do that too. It came my turn, but then we got transferred to Germany, so I missed out on that. Uh, But there in Ringgold in that uh, church, um, attending Sunday school, uh, the weekly reader that was used for the Sunday school uh, classes for my age group uh, was a graphic novelization of the book of Acts. Imagine the book of Acts as a comic book uh, with uh, Peter and Paul as the heroes and the dramatic stories of their life. drawn out in a uh, comic book fashion it was it was exciting it was engaging it was relevant uh, and it was something that was uh, available that was easily uh, understood and that was that was good uh, to to do that i learned many bible stories growing up Um, David and Goliath, Noah and the flood, the parables of Jesus, the treasure buried in the field, the mustard seed, uh, Peter's jailbreak, uh, Paul's conversion, all those stories uh, I, I learned. But I learned them as disconnected bits and pieces of stories. They were like pearls on a chain. I knew the stories, but I had no context for them. No real understanding of how they connect with each other, how they relate to each other, uh, a deeper understanding that might be there uh, until I went to uh, Bible College uh, and and made that choice to attend there and, and there, I gained a, a broader context, a, a deeper understanding as I took uh, lessons on different books of the bible and and the other things that you learn at Bible college. It became. Uh, Something that was relevant and I began to see the connections with other scriptures and the significance of those stories deepened uh, as as I uh, engaged in that process. Ultimately it is Jesus himself who gives us understanding. Uh, The conclusion of the story of uh, the two men who walked from Jerusalem down to Emmaus, uh, having that conversation with the resurrected Jesus and not knowing who he was, but talking to him about the events that were going on. Uh, Verse uh, 45 of chapter 24 says, Then Jesus opened their mind to understand the Scriptures. And ultimately, it's Jesus who opens our minds to understand what the Bible is talking about. Jesus is our guide to understanding Scripture. And Jesus has promised that he would send the Holy Spirit uh, to help us. Uh, The Holy Spirit is our teacher, John 14, 26. Uh, But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And so it's the Holy Spirit that helps us understand Scripture, helps us bring it into our mind so that we can remember it, and helps us draw it out of our mind so that we can use it at the appropriate time. John 15, 26 reminds us that the Holy Spirit bears witness to Jesus. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And so the work of the Holy Spirit is to testify about who Jesus is, what he's about, what his nature is, what his connection is with the Father and with us, and, and what he's about and what he's accomplished for us so that we can understand and trust in Jesus. The Holy Spirit is our guide into all truth. John sixteen thirteen says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak And he will declare to you the things that are to come. And so the work of the Holy Spirit is to declare the things of Jesus. And he will, um, verse 14 goes on to say, He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And the secret is that Jesus has said that the Father has given him all things, and so when the Holy Spirit reveals the things that have been given to Jesus, it includes everything. We need to get the Word of God into our hearts in order that the Holy Spirit can draw it out at the appropriate time so that we can speak a word of comfort or encouragement or uh, challenge if needed. uh, And we can remember what words uh, Jesus has said so that we can use that at the appropriate time. And the work of the Holy Spirit is to make that possible so that we can present our treasure at the right time. Uh, Jesus uh, use this metaphor about um, a person trained, a scribe. He said, Matthew 13:51 and 52, have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. And if we get the Holy Spirit in us, if we get the word of God in us, the Holy Spirit can bring out that treasure at the right time. Jesus told the parable of uh, the treasure buried in the field, Matthew thirteen forty four. the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Indeed, the good news of Jesus Christ is a precious treasure uh, that we can have and be a part of in our life. The book of uh, Colossians at chapter 2, 1 through 5, uh, I want to look at that uh, in a little bit of depth. Uh, Jesus is that precious treasure. Colossians 2, 1 through 5 says this For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged letter to the Colossian church is uh, a group of letters. Uh, It's in a set of four letters uh, that Paul wrote. They're called the prison epistles because Paul was in prison when he wrote them. most of Paul's ministry has been traveling to place-to-place, establishing churches, and uh, he was arrested and placed in prison on several occasions. And uh, we don't know if he wrote these from Caesarea Philippi uh, when he was imprisoned two years there in uh, Palestine, or if he wrote them from Rome when he was in prison there, at the latter part of the book of Acts indicates. But these four letters Paul wrote at roughly the same time to different groups of people Uh, And they cover roughly the same kind of material. And so Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and the letter to Philemon are the four letters that are classed as uh, prison epistles. Uh, This letter, Colossians, is addressed to the church at Colossae. Uh, This is a church that Paul has not founded. It's one that has sprung up uh, by the work of other people. But Paul knows of it, knows some of the people that are there, even though he hasn't met them. And the church at Laodicea is close by, and Paul has not established that church either. But again, he's aware of the people and he writes to them to give them encouragement. And he has the expectation that they will exchange letters, the one written to Laodicea and the one uh, written to Colossae, so that they can both read what Paul has written and have that larger context. And so um, Paul is writing to them and he has a concern for the wholeness of the body of Christ. He wants the church to be unified. He wants the church to be whole. And he wants the church to express the fullness of the body of Christ. And in the church at Colossae, there is a strong racial tension that is present. Now, the two classes of people in Paul's time are the Gentiles and the Jews. And they're like oil and water. And the prejudice runs deep on both sides. And both groups of people are present in the church in Colossae, many of the churches that Paul founded uh, are mixed Jewish and Gentile people together, and they have to find a way to overcome their inherent prejudice. And so Paul is writing about that strong racial tension that is present in this church. There is a thread of Jewish asceticism that is in the Colossian church. Uh, Colossians 2.16 says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Those are all Jewish categories about keeping Sabbath, about celebrating Sabbath on the new moon and different food regulations that you need to follow. Uh, and the point of that Jewish asceticism is, is roughly to say, if you really want to be a full Christian, you need to become a Jew first. And, and that is a tension that is present in the church. And, and it's a legalistic mindset that they have. There are many rules to follow. Uh, second, uh, Colossians two twenty and 21 says, If with Christ you have died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. You see, that, that legalistic thread in the church uh, is something that, kills the spirit over time. Basically, uh, they're saying that these uh, rules that you have to follow lead to a very legalistic outlook. Uh, They create a divisive atmosphere in the church. Basically, they're saying, if you do things this way like us, we will accept you and you'll belong. And if you don't do things the way we do things, we will exclude you and we'll write you off. And that's not what Paul is about. And then there is another thread in this church. There is a faction of people who are puffed up with pride, who think that they are elite and special, that they have a secret knowledge that sets them apart. And their invitation is if you come and join with us, we'll teach you the secret knowledge that you need to know to be a, 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 a Christian, a true follower of Jesus Christ. Verse 18 of of chapter 2 says, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. And, And so this faction in the church also is divisive. They're saying if you want to advance in your faith, then you have to have this special, secret, hidden knowledge that only we know. And if you will join with us, we'll teach you that secret knowledge so that you can be a part of us fully. And you know that there are multiple layers of angels and heavenly beings that you have to get past. And with this secret knowledge, you'll be able to do that. And if you don't have it, you are going to be stuck apart from the Father. And so you need these secrets. Well, Paul counters both groups kind of knocks their heads together a little bit and speaks truth to them. Colossians 2.23 says, These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Paul reminds us that discipline can be good, uh, that we can engage in, in the spiritual disciplines and they're helpful. Uh, and if we do that simply out of our own strength, there's some benefit that comes to that. But you recognize that over time, our discipline lapses, our motivation wanes. And we discover that what the path that we set ourselves on that we're slowly drifting away from until we find ourselves engaged in the same old behavior that we were engaged in before. And that our self-will and our self-strength and our self-ability is not enough to transform and change us. And that we need Jesus in order to do that. And so both of these groups are reminded that the fullness of the truth is in Jesus Christ. We, We have a precious treasure of wisdom and knowledge that's deposited in Christ Jesus. And it's available to everyone who's in Christ Jesus. You see... In in writing this letter in chapter 1, Paul reminded them that it is Jesus who created the spiritual rulers and authorities in the heavenly places that are those barriers and layers that we have to get through in order to receive the Father. That Jesus created them in the first place and therefore they're subject to him and he has authority over them. And then in verse 15 of chapter 2, he says he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That these heavenly beings are of no account because Jesus has conquered them, vanquished them, subdued them, captured them, and they are in his captive train as he marches triumphantly into heaven after his ascension, and they no longer have power over us. So secret knowledge is not needed. It's all present in Jesus Christ. All we need is Jesus, and he's the one uh, that is our victor. Here's some precious treasure that is in Jesus for us, if we will simply turn to him and look to him. First of all, uh, the Father has qualified us for the kingdom of God. If you look at Colossians 1.12, In a short sentence, Paul says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That is our Father himself who says you belong. You're qualified. I want you in my kingdom. It is the Father who declares that over us and allows us to come in. And what the Father has qualified, no one has the authority to disqualify. Not even ourselves. And so we're qualified, first of all, by the declaration of the Father. In verse 4 of Colossians 2, Paul says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. There are times that we'll hear arguments about why we're not good enough, why we shouldn't be in God's kingdom, why we've fallen short. And we can take that in and it is destructive we need to remember that it is the Father who's qualified us and that we are belonging to the kingdom because of what he has said and the work that Jesus has done on our behalf. And so Paul writes in verse 16, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or new moon or Sabbath. You have freedom in Jesus Christ to live out your faith in a way that's keeping with God's word. My dad died of cancer in 1977. He had a brain tumor. And while the surgery was technically successful, they removed the tumor, he died in the recovery room. And I was always puzzled by that, why he didn't live. And um, about five or six years after my dad died, I had a visit uh, from my Uncle Bill. Who was a psychologist and ordained uh, pastor, uh, who was a classmate of my mom and dad, who was married to my mom's youngest sister, so part of the family. He was a psychologist and a uh, confidant of my dad. That my dad would turn to him and ask questions of him and seek guidance from him and wisdom from him at various points in his life. And uh, Uncle Bill told me that he had a, had a conversation with my dad before the surgery. And, and that what my dad had said was that uh, he was choosing not to live, that he was choosing to go to heaven. And the reason that he was choosing that was because there were people in the church that he was serving that told him and were saying about him that he was not spiritual enough. This man who was my hero, who was charismatic, who had a charisma about him, who could open the word and speak just from the Bible without notes, who spoke powerful messages that draw people into God's kingdom, who as a pastor took a church that was small and in five years was one of the fastest growing churches in Texas at that time, was not spiritual enough and my dad chose to go home. That makes me sad. I'm at peace with that, though. And I love him still. Don't let anyone tell you that you're not qualified. Because you are, because the Father has said you belong. I love you. I've called you. I've chosen you. My son has died in your place and given you life. You have my Holy Spirit living in you. You belong in my kingdom. And don't let anyone tell you no. Jesus and the Father have said yes. Not only that, you and I have the fullness of God dwelling in us. Colossians 2, 9 and 10 says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, And you've been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Chapter 1, verse 19, Paul says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In Jesus is the fullness of God. And Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit are living within us so that the presence and the fullness of God are present in us through Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Father. Paul summed up that thought this way in verse 27 of chapter 1 when he wrote, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so, Jesus is present in us, and that gives us the hope of where we're going and how we can live right now. No matter what label the world would put on us, whether it's based on our skin color, whether it's based on our ethno- ethnicity, whether it's based on our political views or, or whatever it might be, whatever label the world puts on us, we are one in Jesus Christ, and that's what counts and matters. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. Those are those um, Racial lines. There's neither slave nor free. Those are those economic lines. There is no male and female. Those are those no gender lines. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And Paul is concerned for the oneness and the wholeness of the church. Another precious treasure that we have in Jesus Christ is that he has changed our heart. Colossians 2.11 says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. For the Jewish people, being a part of the covenant meant you had to be circumcised, and Gentile people were reluctant to do that. And what Paul is saying is that it's a spiritual circumcision that counts, that our heart has been cut. And the sin nature has been renewed and that's been replaced by a new creation. That's what counts. That's what's important. And that's available to all of us in Jesus Christ. We've become alive in Jesus Christ. Verse 13 of chapter 2 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. God has wiped the slate clean. We were dead, but now we're alive in Jesus Christ. And baptism is a sign of that transformation. And the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life is our assurance that it has taken place. So Scripture is effective in bringing us to the precious treasure of Jesus. That Jesus is the one who guides us and opens up our understanding of Scripture And that Jesus Himself is that precious treasure. I'd invite you to stand as you're able, and I would invite the worship band up on the platform. What would it feel like if all of your doubts were removed? That every question you had was answered? Especially the questions about, do I belong? Am I a part? Are these my family? Is this my people? How would you feel if you had the full assurance of the Father's love for you? If you knew without a doubt that you belonged in the kingdom, that Jesus was alive within you, what would it be like if Jesus brought Scripture alive for you? that your heart was soft to his presence, that your mind was opened by the Spirit to understand. What would it be like to experience a firm foundation in God's Word, to have something to place your feet on so that you can have rest and support, allowing all of Scripture to inform your living, and that your ear was open to hear what God our Father was speaking to you, what would would that be like for you? What would it be like for for all of us if we trusted in the Father's love for everyone? Not simply focused on ourselves, but recognizing that God loves everyone and that because he loves everyone, we can love others too. What would it be like if we lived out the truth that Jesus is alive within us in our congregation? That people could feel the presence of God in this place. That God could feel the presence, that that people could feel the presence of God in our life as we went about our daily living. What would it be like if our hearts Were soft and our ears were open to hear directly from the Father. What a blessing we would be for our community. Would you pray with me? Loving Father, I thank you that you are present and that you have spoken over us your declaration that we belong to you. That not only do we belong, but that you've come to live within us in Jesus Christ, and that you are changing us and transforming us by your spirit. Father, I thank you that that you are speaking to us and that our ears are open to hear and that we are saying yes to you this morning. Bless each one here. As we go forth from this place, may we walk with your spirit May we walk with understanding that you are present and that you are at work within us to draw people to Jesus. Thank you for your love and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've got some action steps for us this week. Uh, When you read scripture this week, would you pray first? Ask Jesus to reveal something for you and then read your text uh, prayerfully and then prayerfully listen the father's answer he'll speak